0: Hey Southridge Church, thanks for joining today. Welcome to Southridge Online. And whether you are in Canada or around this world, we appreciate you and we are glad that you have joined us today. But I would encourage you to do more than just listen today. Visit our website at southridgefellowship.ca. Find out more about us if you're new or joining us in community by joining one of our community groups and engage with us in the mission that God has given us to fulfill by either giving financially or serving or just even following Jesus daily. We are so glad that you're a part of us and we encourage you to step into something that God has for you. So find out more at southridgefellowship.ca and enjoy the message. Have you ever said something or done something to someone that you just know was wrong, like you're totally at fault, and afterwards you felt guilty for what you said or what you did? Of course you have. You're human after all, and if you had siblings growing up, you're probably very good uh, at doing this sort of thing. You've had a lot of experience. And um, the guilt that we suffer sometimes from things like that, we don't know how to deal with it. Or we might, but we don't want to deal with it. And so uh, we really do need to know how to deal with the guilt in our life. Guilt can become such a heavy burden in our life, depending on what we're guilty of or what we feel guilty for. And if we don't deal with that guilt, it can have some very significant consequences in our life. Today, I wanna look at a Psalm that talks about guilt, but it also gives us a way to know how to deal with the guilt we might be feeling in our life and it's psalm 32 and psalm 32 starts off with two really important verses and the first two verses go like this blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven whose sins are covered blessed is the one whose sin the lord does not count against them and whose spirit is no deceit we just looked at sin a couple of psalms ago when we looked at psalm 25 and the same three types of sin that we saw in psalm 25 are also listed in psalm 32 and the first one though although this psalm is a little different because what david does in this psalm is he takes a sin and then ties it with an aspect of forgiveness So quickly, let's just look at these three sins and the three forgiveness pieces that go along with each sin. So the first one is this, is this transgressions. And these transgressions are forgiven. This idea of transgressions deals with uh, trespasses when we have crossed the boundaries that God has set up for us. Uh, It's uh, in Psalm 25, he refers to it as the rebellious ways. And when we step out of bounds, when we go outside those bounds, when we trespass in areas that we shouldn't, the Bible tells us that sin occurs and that sin then becomes a burden for us. And we have to carry that burden around. John Bunyan in his famous work, Pilgrim's Progress, deals with it this way and talks about it this way. His main character, Pilgrim, is weighed down with the sin of his life. And when he finally gets to the cross and he, he's there in front of the cross and he asks for forgiveness and forgiveness is given to him, John describes it as sin rolling off him. His burden is released. The Hebrew word here that is, uh, that is translated forgiven literally means to lift up. And so you have this picture that David is painting for us that our transgressions, when we find forgiveness, our transgressions, God takes them and lifts them up off us. He releases the burden that we're carrying around. In the Old Testament, Uh, One of the ways they dealt with sin was once a year, the high priest would stand before uh, the nation and they would bring a goat to him and he would put his hands on the goat's head and he would pray, confessing the sins of the nation. And the imagery of this was that he was confessing the sins of the nation and the, the, the sins were being laid on top of the goat. And then what they would do is they would release the goat into the wilderness And that's where you get the word scapegoat from. The goat became the scapegoat for the nation. He took their sin uh, symbolically away from them. And this image is carried on into the New Testament. And that's the image we see of Jesus dying on the cross. Jesus dies on the cross for your and my sin. He becomes your and my scapegoat. And so when David is saying the transgressions are forgiven, there's this picture, uh, a New Testament picture of our sins when we come to God and ask for forgiveness, of him taking our sins and lifting them up off us and putting them on Jesus. You see, when our transgressions are forgiven, God lifts our sin off us. But then he goes on to a second type of sin, and he says, sins that are covered. And this is kind of the sins of your youth from Psalm 25. And these are the sins that we talk about missing the mark. Like we try, but we just can't do what we're supposed to do. But it also means and implies those sins that we should be doing, and we don't actually do them. And you see, when we sin, what happens is the Holy Spirit uses guilt to indicate to us that something we've just done is wrong. In many ways, guilt is like that check engine sensor light that comes on in your car when something's wrong in the engine, meaning you should check into this and deal with it. But the problem is, you and I, we like to cover up our sin more than we like to deal with it, don't we? Like that's usually our first response is when we sin, we cover it up. We try and push it away. We try and hide it from others. We try and make sure that no one knows that what we've done is wrong. And here's one of the issues is when we kind of operate that way and we live a life where we don't actually deal with our sin, what happens over time is that the sense of wrongness that guilt brings into our life diminishes. And it's like having your guilt sensor burn out. And it no longer comes on when you sin and so that what happens then is that people no longer feel guilty for that type of sin and they actually the bible tells us that when they move past that point they often even become proud of their sin and they display it to everyone where they uncover it and yet for forgiveness to truly happen that sin needs to be covered but we can't actually cover it. Only God can cover it for us. And there's this image when I read that sentence that our sins are covered. I get this image because, you know, I'm a painter in my past life before I was a pastor. I have this image of God with a big roller in his hand and our sin just like a black wall. And there's God with roller and white paint going over our black wall of sin and turning it into a white wall of purity. That's what I see when David says, and our sins are covered. And then, so when our sins are covered, it's because God has painted over our sin. He's covered them up. We can't see them anymore. And then he gets into a third sin where he talks about the sin not being counted. God doesn't count the sin. And this is the type of sin That he's talking about here is where we take something good and then pervert it for evil. We take something that God made or created and we turn it into sin and evil. But it can also mean when we walk off the path, we stray off the way that God has for us. And what happens with sin is that sin always creates a debt in our life. It's counted against us. And ultimately, that debt will have to be be paid But when we're forgiven, what happens is God transfers that sin debt from us onto Jesus. And Jesus ends up paying that sin debt for us. And the picture you should have here is that essentially what God does in that transaction is that God erases our sin from our account. Now, the struggle we have sometimes because when God does that, he basically forgets our sin. He's put it on Jesus, it's gone from us. He doesn't remember it for us. One of our struggles, I think, is is that sometimes we have a hard time forgetting when we've been forgiven. When God has forgiven us of the sins that we have brought to him, we sometimes years and years later will bring up those sins and hang on to them. And that's one of the things that I think Satan does in our life. Satan will take sins that you've done in the past that you've been forgiven for, and he will bring them up to you right now and try and make them fresh in your mind and try and cause doubt that you were ever forgiven for them. But you see, what this verse, these verses are saying is that when our sin is taken away, it is erased. It's the same thing that John the Baptist talks about when he sees Jesus and when Jesus is coming to get baptized by John. And how does John describe Jesus? He says this way, look, behold, the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. The lamb that erases your sin. You see, when our sin is not counted, it's because God has erased our sin. But how do we get to this place of forgiveness? All these wonderful aspects of forgiveness. How do we actually get the forgiveness that we need to deal with the guilt in our life? And that is found in verse 5. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Notice there's three steps in this verse. The first step is to acknowledge. And this word acknowledge just means to notice, to, re- something, to have something revealed, to become known. Meaning that the first step that we have to do in dealing with sin in our life is we actually have to move past being blind to the sin in our life. We actually have to open our eyes and examine ourselves. We have to know that there's sin in our life. And when we examine ourselves, it shouldn't surprise us when we see sin, and sin makes us ugly. It, uh, it distorts our identity. It causes things like anger and jealousy and bitterness and insecurity to rise up within us. And that picture and those things that, that those emotions and those things we deal with uh, cause us to even sin more. You see, when David talks about acknowledging the sin in our life, we need to point it out. We need to understand what is going in our life. But we don't just need to understand. We need to take step two, which is to confess. We need, And when we confess, what it means is we take responsibility for our own actions. And I think what David is saying here is we actually should verbally confess it. Now, I know God can understand our thoughts, knows our minds, and we can talk to God in our head. But I think there's some power, especially when it comes to confession, when we verbally confess something to God. There's, at least in my experience, when I've done that, there is some power in that moment that goes beyond just thinking the confession. It's verbally confessing. It's getting out there. It's putting out out there, almost like putting your hands on the goat, when, you con- when the high priests confess it, that's what it, I think I see here when David is talking about confessing it. And then of course, the third step after acknowledging it and confessing it is knowing that God forgives our sin and deals with our guilt. Notice the promptness here. God deals with it right away. God is not like the CRA. You know, have you ever tried to phone the taxman? You call them up, you're on hold forever. And then when you actually get to talk to someone, usually they're trans you know, transferring you to a different department. That is not God when it comes to forgiveness. When it comes to forgiveness, there's a direct line to him. He picks up and he forgives and deals with it right away. First John 1, 9 uh, kind of talks about this in the New Testament. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, meaning that God deals with us right away. He doesn't wait This is like right away. You see, though, when our forgiveness and our guilt has been dealt with, we really have nothing to feel guilty about, do we? When we come to the understanding that when we come to God and and find forgiveness in him, all our sin, all our guilt has been lifted up, painted over, and erased And I think one of the issues we have with our culture right now is that there is a huge victim mentality in our culture. That people do not wanna take responsibility for how they act, how they turn out even. And this creates a problem when we're trying to share the issue of sin in someone's life. Because sometimes people will say, well, I'm not responsible for that. You made me angry, so that's why I responded that way. I don't take responsibility for my anger. Right? That's a victim mentality type of understanding. But to get, deal with the sin in our life, to deal with the guilt in our life, we have to come to the place where we have to realize we are responsible for our sin. And we have to confess it. Stuart Briscoe, the author, uh, points uh, out something about sin and how people deal with sin or look at sin. And he says this, because many people have failed to understand sin they have little idea of the immensity of God's forgiveness. They think they have never done anything very bad. So God has never had to forgive them of anything very big. And this is idea that if we don't truly understand the sin in our life, we will never truly understand the forgiveness that God is offering to us. But David doesn't just stop there. I mean, we've looked at three verses out of the entire Psalm. He also, I think, gives us three warnings when it comes to dealing with guilt and dealing with forgiveness. And the first warning is in verse three and four. And he says this, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away, though my groaning all day long. For day and night, my, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of the summer. You see, in this verse, David is telling us that when we we don't deal with the sin in our life, the guilt of our life will waste us away. And physically, it will actually affect us physically. It will sap our strength. Our bones will become weary. It's this picture of growing old. That's the result of guilt and sin if we don't come and deal with it with God. And the warning that David wants us to hear is this, don't be silent. In your sin, don't be silent. Come to God and confess it. Deal with it. Don't let it carry on forever and ever. And so right now, if God is bringing something into your mind, a sin, I I would say confess it right now. Deal with it. Don't wait for it. Deal with that sin. Then he goes on for the second warning in verses six and seven, and he says this, therefore let all the faithful pray to you while, they may be, while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with the songs of deliverance. There's this great picture that David paints of the comfort we have when we know we have been forgiven. And he gives us this this picture of God protecting us, even when life is crazy, even when life uh, turns upside down. That when we know, when we have the security and the certainty of forgiveness, we can go through a whole lot of things. In fact, this verse where it talks about "You are my hiding place." A few weeks ago, when that we I was doing a message on Cory Ten Boom, that is the title of her autobiography, and she points to this verse as a verse that sustained her through the experience of having to go through a concentration camp. This idea that she was secure in God uh, and secured in her, her forgiveness, knowing that her sin had been dealt with. That's the picture that we get here. And yet there's a warning in this verses, and it's found at the middle part of verse six, where it says, pray to God while while he still may be found. So basically what David is saying is, don't wait to confess your sin. Don't wait. You don't have forever to get right with God. Because you don't know when you're going to die. You can get hit by a car. You can choke on something. You could get COVID and die a couple of days later without being able to talk to anyone. No one knows the hour of their death. And David's pressing us here. Don't wait to make things right with God. And the other reason is Jesus is coming back. He is coming back. And at that point, at that point when he comes back and at the point when you die, it is too late to find that forgiveness. So don't wait And if you're listening to this and you've never acknowledged your sin and confessed it to God, I urge you to do it right now. You know, all you have to pray is a very simple prayer. God, I know that I am a sinner. And if God is bringing to your mind a specific sin or or sins, confess those specific sins to him right now and say, Hey, I confess these sins. And then i just ask for your forgiveness the forgiveness that i can have because jesus your son died for me on the cross you need to do it as verse one says with a proper attitude did you catch or sorry end of verse two it says and in those whose spirit is no deceit in verse two david is telling us that when we come to confession we need to do it with a spirit that is truthful It's not the type of confession where we just say it so that others think we're doing the right thing because God knows our heart. When we come to God, we actually have to confess with a heart that wants and desires forgiveness, that wants to deal with the sin in our life. So don't wait to do it. Don't wait to confess to him. And then he goes on in verse 8 to 10, and this is a a change of view. This is God speaking to David. And he says, I, I, God, will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which has no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. And there's another warning here, because this is a shift of perspective, right? So God is speaking. And he is telling David that he will teach, he will counsel, he will instruct you or us. Because we need that. We need to know the path that we need to stay on. We need to know uh, the boundaries that God has placed. Without his teaching, we wouldn't even know if we are sinning. And God says, I will do that and I will watch over you. But when I give you instruction, when I give you counsel, when I teach you, don't do what a horse or a mule does who is stubborn they don't listen and that is our temptation right so when god comes into our life and gives us instruction when we read his word and we read something we don't like because it means changing our life or changing our attitude or changing our perspective or changing actually how we live we can get pretty stubborn can't we and we can say no to god when i was in high school i remember this one day I was sitting in the cafeteria with a bunch of my friends and I grabbed uh, my friend's pencil case uh, and we started to play a game of keep away uh, with her pencil case. And this continued for a little while and it finally ended when I uh, threw the pencil case to a friend who didn't catch it and it dropped on the ground. And Beth, my friend, was able to grab it. I didn't know at the time, but I found out a little bit later that Beth was pretty mad at me because, because of what because of my actions, because of what I had done, Some, she had something in her pencil case that was valuable to her and had been broken. And so she was quite upset to, with me and rightfully so. I had done something that had caused her harm or caused her damage because I had broken something that she treasured. But I didn't know about it and then I found out about it and I felt guilty. But here's the thing, I got stubborn. And instead of going to her and asking her forgiveness i decided no i'm not going to do that it was just me throwing a stupid pencil case you shouldn't have had that you know valuable thing in there it's not my fault it broke and this went on for a couple of days and the guilt that i was feeling kept piling higher and higher and higher until that finally i said no i gotta go and and ask her for forgiveness so i went to beth And I said, hey, I'm sorry for breaking your thing. I'm sorry for doing that stupid thing. And she looked at me and she forgave me. And then she said this, Brent, I am so glad you finally stopped being an ass. And that's the third warning that David is doing here, right? Don't be an ass. And I mean that in the most King James Version way possible. That's what he's talking about when he gives us this picture of horses and mules who are stubborn, who don't humble themselves. Who try and go their own way, and an owner has to put a bridle in to control them. They're uncontrollable without it. And the picture that David is painting for us is this when it comes to forgiveness and when it comes to sin, when we are convicted of the sin, when guilt comes into our life because the Holy Spirit is using that to tell us something is wrong, humble yourself to right yourself with the person you've wronged and with God. Don't become stubborn so my question to you this morning is this, is the Holy Spirit speaking to you right now? Now Maybe the Holy Spirit is reminding you of something that you've been stubborn about, that you need to deal with. Something maybe in a relationship with God, you know, he's been telling you to do something, you've been saying no or maybe it's a significant relationship in your life, your mom or dad or your spouse or your child, children, or maybe a friend where there has been damage done and you did the damage and you know because you're feeling guilty about it. And the Holy Spirit is saying, okay, you got to deal with it now. So don't be an ass, deal with it. Don't be stubborn. What do you need to do? Do you need to stop being silent and confess the sin that is weighing you down? Do you need to uh, stop waiting and get right with God right now? Do you need to stop being stubborn and make things right with God and with whoever you've wronged? You see, those are the warnings that even though forgiveness is available to us, if we don't take advantage of it, it will impact our lives in a negative way. And yet there's this beautiful picture at the end of the psalm in verse 11 that tells us what it looks like when we live a life that is full of forgiveness and guilt-free. And it says this, rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. And there's this picture that David is giving us that when we truly understand the depths of our sin, our forgiveness should result in inexpressible joy and worship of god it's the picture that we see in luke chapter 7 where it's the story of the woman who has sinned comes to jesus with some perfume and anoints his feet and is crying and is wiping his feet. And there's people standing around there judging her and judging Jesus and thinking that it's waste and too exuberant when, he, when Jesus turns to them in verse 47 of chapter seven says this, uh, therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. This psalm is a reminder that when we look into our life, when we actually truly examine ourselves, we realize that there is a lot of sin that needs to be forgiven. But it also reminds us that when we come to God and confess it, God forgives us our sin. And so at the end of the day, when we are right before God, right with others, the sin in our life has been forgiven and there's no longer any guilt there, what should happen is that we should be praising God with our whole being. Our praise and our worship should should be exuberant. It should just spill out of us. Like our heart should sing in many ways because we are so light, we are no longer carrying our burden. You see, a forgiven, guilt-free life means being able to praise God with reckless abandonment and with nothing holding you back. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this psalm. Lord, I thank you for how David clearly lays out how you forgive our sins. There is so much to the forgiveness that you give us. Lord, my prayer is that whoever is watching this or listening to this, Lord, that they would know the comfort and the joy of living a forgiven life. And if they don't have that right now, I pray that they would have the humility and the strength and the courage to come to you and confess their sins to you, to lay them before you and to acknowledge them and then to receive your forgiveness which you so freely give and then to be able to live in that life, a life of forgiveness and free of guilt and that they may be able to praise you with their whole being. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Hey everyone, thanks so much for being a part of our online worship experience today. In a couple seconds, you're gonna see some questions pop up on the screen. And no matter whether you're by yourself or with your family or your community group or whatever it is, I wanna encourage you to take a moment to go through and process through those questions. And if you're by yourself, you can do that with God or you can wait till later in the week when you're with somebody and then go through that. But here's the questions today. The first one is this. Which aspect of forgiveness is most meaningful to you? which aspect of forgiveness is most meaningful to you? Was it lifting off, painting over, or erased, and why? The second question, when it comes to seeking forgiveness, which warning do you struggle with the most? So when it comes to seeking forgiveness, which of the warnings do you struggle with the most? Was it being silent, waiting, or being stubborn? And finally, the last question here today is, during the message, did the Holy Spirit make you aware of something that you need to seek forgiveness for today? Did the Holy Spirit speak to you and make you aware of something you need to seek forgiveness for today? Do it now. Don't wait. Pursue that right now. Thank you so much, guys. Hope you have a great week. If you need to see any of our information, upcoming events, or reminders, it's all on the website. And we'll see you next week.